0: Hello and welcome. It's the pleasure of Power to Change to present Family Life Today each week, Monday through Friday at this time. We'd love you to contact this station and tell them how much you appreciate hearing Family Life Today. Well, let's get started on today's edition. Alcoholism, death,
1: affairs. That's your story. You know, it was shattered. I mean,
2: what's really crazy is uh, when I went back to that home in New Jersey in a gated community, because my dad was an airline pilot and we made a lot of money back Mm -hmm. then, you would have looked at that house and said, that is a... Perfect family.
1: Yeah. It's you know? a picture perfect.
2: Yeah, I mean if you looked at a picture of our family, you would say, Oh, that's the all I mean, that's just that's the dream family and nobody knew behind those doors was alcohol and mm-hmm. girlfriends and then after the divorce the death of my little brother. I mean it was no, I would have never chosen that life. But mm-hmm. now as I look back I also can see how all that pain developed me into the man I am today.
1: And yet you could have stayed in it and been so bitter and angry and even blamed God. But and I you,
2: did. It, do you feel like you did? Oh, for years, for decades, I blamed God for the whole thing.
1: And now do you blame God?
2: No, I blame man. Those are the decisions that men made. And I thank God that he got me through it and actually turned it into something mm. pretty beautiful. Yeah. And that's sort of what we're talking about today, um, how God can take a broken Life and story and make something beautiful out of it. We have Sharon James back with us today. She's been on Family Life before. So welcome back to Family Life in Orlando, Florida.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Do you know how many times you've been on Family Life today?
3: I can't remember. I think there four or five. I have yeah. to go back and look
2: at
1: the... And
3: Sharon, <laughs> you have always
1: been a treat for us, for our listeners. You always bring a lot of wisdom, practicality, scripture. And this book, When You Don't Like Your Story... And the subtitle is, What If Your Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories? When I hear that, I think, yes, all of us are listening to that, thinking, that's what I want. Can it become my greatest victory? And you've written a lot of books. Yeah,
2: I didn't know this. Twenty-five?
1: I know. And you're married. You have a a son that's grown. But this is your passion, and you've been speaking to women over the years. You helped found Proverbs 31 women. This is something that really matters to you, of really helping women especially.
3: It really is a passion of mine, and when I go back, and look at the titles of some of the books that yeah. I've written in the past, you can see that there's a, a common theme of really helping women have a better story. I mean, there's a book called Enough, Silence in the Lies That Steal Your Confidence. Mm. Well, that's helping them have a better story right now by believing in the truth of God. I mean, in, in each of the titles, except the ones on marriage, well, those are helping women have a better marriage, Yeah, but it's helping women have a better story than the one they they're currently find themselves in. Or in this case, a lot of the book is talking about, maybe it's not your whole story that you don't like, but there's just certain chapters that you have in your story that you would love to rip out. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is those chapters that a lot of times we want to rip out are the very chapters that God wants to repurpose. And those are the ones that he uses the most in our lives. Yes. Um, And as you were saying, Dave, to make you a stronger person, but to also help other people because it tells us in scriptures that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that that, mm. we can comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Now, that's kind of a convoluted verse, but basically it's saying that God comforts us to make us comfort-able, not to make us comfortable. That's mm. not really how yeah. on this list, in case you've noticed, but to make us comfort-able. So for when we can look at those difficult chapters and in, in all those places we'd like to mark out, but God's highlighting, those places that we've dog-eared and we just keep going back and back to that chapter to try to make sense of it all and say, why did this happen those are the very chapters that God will use the most in our lives to develop us and then turn around and help other people.
1: I can't agree more. And I remember, I think we had just come out of a 10-year slump in our marriage. And I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, and he said, God will never allow, if you trust him, your pain to be in vain. And I can remember because of abuse in my background, because of our marriage that was really struggling, I clung to that. Like, I needed to know, like, is this it? Is this my story? Just one failure or one adverse situation after another. And so as you say that, I had never thought at the time that God could actually use that period of time to help other people. And that's what we've done with our marriage. Like, oh, let's tell people our story so that maybe they can find hope, too.
2: Yeah, I've discovered as you write in your book, and I want to hear your story, that the darkest parts of my life where I thought God wasn't there I find out he was there and you but, want to
1: hide those dark chapters
2: yeah exactly it's sort of like nobody's ever going to hear that part but then you go to like you said Second Corinthians 1 that God comforts us in those moments so that we I love how you said so that, 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 that comfort the yeah. able um to help others, and he actually uses our pain, and I think in some ways points us to our purpose in life, because now I have a passion I always have for marriages, for families staying together. Why? Because I came out of one that didn't, and I want to help others. So you heard a bit of my story. What's your story?
3: Much like you, I was raised in a a beautiful home. We lived in a little town in North Carolina on the eastern part of North Carolina, a ranch-style home, very typical with two kids, and we had a collie dog named... Lassie. Lassie, of course. A collie yeah. dog named Lassie. Now, some listeners <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> don't even know
2: who Lassie is, because okay, they've well, missed that, that, that decade. Missed that. Well, oh, that. that was the best, <laughs> greatest dog yeah. on TV yeah, in the 60s it, and right. 70s. Even
3: though there were like 20 of them that played one little dog. <laughs> yes. but, um, so we had a collie dog named Lassie, and my my father had a successful business, and Uh, My mom had her own little shop. She owned a craft shop called the Van Beetle and taught painting classes and little decoupage classes. But there was a secret behind the door, much like in your home. And that was that my father had a terrible drinking problem. Mm. And many times when dad would come home, he would come home drunk and my parents would fight. And I remember going to bed at night and just pulling up the covers and praying that I could hurry up and go to sleep so I could shut out the noise of what was going on in that uh, next room. And I remember sometimes i would i would just get in in my bed and pull the covers up sometimes i would get up and turn a little key on the back of a jewelry box i had this little pink jewelry yes. box turn the key open the lid the little ballerina yeah. pop up, remember those and i would try to listen to that music to shut out that noise sometimes i'd go in my brother's room and and we would we would hide together and those were your earliest memories growing those up those are my earliest memories I, I i don't remember anything before violence uh, that violence is the first thing that i remember how and, old how old were you you know i'm thinking kindergarten I is what her. i really start to remember, so i don't remember a lot before that but what i do remember are scary and the next day it was always the same my dad would be at the kitchen table crying Say I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, this will never happen again, and then my mom, she would go into a, a period of passive-aggressive silence, so she would be, you know, silent for several weeks. My dad would say he was sorry, it wouldn't happen again, and then we'd have a lull and there would be peace in our home for a little while, but it's just like kind of the Israelites' rebellion cycle off through the Old Testament. I could kind of feel it building back up again, and then it would be another explosion. And it was like living on an earthquake fault line, just <sighs> never knowing when that big one was going to hit. But it continued and continued and continued through and my whole childhood. You know, kids internalized this, and I felt like i was so ashamed i mean the next day when my father was saying how sorry he was and i'd have to get my little lunch box and get dressed and go sit in first grade and feel so ashamed even though nobody knew that and thinking my family is so wrong something's wrong with my family and something is wrong with me hmm. and when my mom would say now Listen, if you've ever said this to your kids, don't feel bad about it. I'm sure I've said it to mine. But when my mom would say, what is wrong with you? To me, I remember thinking, I don't know, but there's something wrong with me. Wow. And grew up feeling that I just wasn't good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough. So all that violence and the alcohol, there was pornography, there was gambling, all that just put such a shame on me as a little kid, and I lived under that until I was about 12 years old. There was a woman on the next street. It was my best friend, little redheaded Wanda. It was her mom, and I loved being down at the Henderson's home because they, Mr. and Mrs. Henderson, would hug and kiss. They had little pet names for each other, and i would never seen married people act like that before, and I loved being down there, and listen, even though I was so terrified of my father, I still still wanted a daddy who loved me and I think all little girls want a daddy who loves them and did you love him I was terrified of my father mm. that I would not have said I really loved my father I wanted to have a father like Mr. Henderson yes. I loved that vision of a father like him mm. and I didn't know why that family was so different from mine but I knew it had something to do with Jesus. Because she would, Missus Henderson would sing little praise songs about Jesus when she cleaned the house. And um, now, listen. Here's something I want you to know too. My family, as bad as we were with the alcohol and the violence, pornography, the gambling, we went to church on Sunday. Wow, we went to church on Sunday. We walked in looking good, every hair in place. I remember my mom using sponge rollers on my hair the night before because we were going to look good. And then I started spending the night with the Hendersons, going to church with them on Sunday. And I began to see there was a big difference between what we had and what they had. Now, I could not have verbalized it at 12 years old, but what I was seeing was that there's a big difference between having a religion in your life and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that woman took me under her wing, and she loved on me, and I began to tell Wanda about what was going on in my home and then telling Mrs. Henderson. Did anybody else know? um, I think they suspected because my mom would have a black eye. You know, she, how many doors can you run into? You know, but pretty much kept it quiet. You know, it was a small town and he ran around. Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm sure people
3: knew that, but nobody talked about it.
1: And yet you said it earlier. It wasn't just that something was wrong with your family. Something was wrong with you.
3: Absolutely. And we need to know that children internalize that. When they see their parents yelling and screaming and they might be terrified, they internalize that shame onto themselves it felt like something's wrong with their family. That family is wrong and that they are wrong. And that's how I felt. I didn't know that at the time. I mean, I couldn't have put that into words. But after a couple of years of going to church with the Hendersons and um, she taught me about Jesus and she started a Bible study in the neighborhood for teenagers. We were young teens. And she talked to me about a heavenly father who loved me. And when I was 14, I was spending the night with them, and she asked me if I was ready to accept Jesus as my Savior. Now, I want to say something here, too. Honestly, I was not the kind of girl I would have wanted my little girl to play with. Mm. Because, I mean, there was a lot in me. There was a lot of anger in me, and I was really heading, headed in a bad direction. But she took a chance on me, exposed her daughter to me. It ended up leading me to Jesus.
2: So what are you saying about that family?
3: I'm saying that as a parent, sometimes we might want to keep our kids away from certain kids. To protect to them. To protect them. But maybe we ought to consider that maybe God has brought these certain kids in our lives so that we can love on them mm. and show them that life can be different you know when people when other kids come into your home even now with your grown boys and they're watching you they say life can be different this is what my family could be like and that's what i saw with them as she took that chance on me i was saying this is what life could be like and this is what i want i want a family like that i'm telling you like just what you're
1: doing is you're preaching what we're saying at family life Our homes make a difference. Each home on every corner, when we're walking with Jesus, we reflect the Savior. And people are drawn to that. As Dennis Rainey used to say and still does say, our marriages in the future and even right now are the greatest evangelistic tool we can use. Because when people see a great marriage or a good family, they think, as you did, Sharon, as a little girl, whatever they have, I want that. And when you heard the gospel, when you heard that you had a heavenly father... Well, let me, let me
2: add this. I'd just love to add Mrs. Henderson, who I'll never meet, <laughs> had that vision. Yeah. Thinking, not only is our house sort of a lighthouse, but God's going to bring people into our home that need what we have, and she had that vision to be able to reach out to you.
3: And that is not the end of the story with Mrs. Henderson. Yeah. Now, keep going. So at, <laughs> oh, 14, go. at 14, she tells you, shares the gospel. Yes. She, and, I, and I become a Christian through this woman. So, But the problem was I had to go back home, of course, yeah. into that violent environment with all that went on behind that pretty door, that pretty house. But now I've got Jesus, and I've got my group of 14-year-old friends that I'm in a Bible study with praying for my family. Oh. And when you've got teenagers on fire for Jesus, isn't it a, just fun to watch? It's a force. I mean, it is a force. We were amazing. I, I'm just looking back on it, can even hardly believe how powerful we were at 14? But we prayed for my family, and then I'm going to fast forward. My parents thought that my excitement for religion, they called it, would wear off, but it didn't. Um, but I was still a teenager. I was still, still got on their nerves and all that teenagers do. And, but we prayed for my family, and when I was 17, I had an opportunity to go away for the summer. Um, it was a foreign exchange program, but I told my friends that I could not go because by this time I was the parent really in the house. Mm. And when they fought, I broke up the fights. My brother would leave. I would stay, break up the fight. If I leave, who's my mom going to turn to? But we continued to pray. And then my now 17-year-old friends that we've been doing this journey for three years, um, they said, we really feel like you should go. And so I decided to go. And God was saying, will you trust me here? Mm -hmm. So the night before I left, my friends came over. We prayed the blood of Jesus over my house, marched (laughs) around my house. We were amazing. So the very night that I left, my dad came home drunk, and he started a fight with my mom. I wasn't there to help she runs down to Mrs. Henderson's house because I told her, Mom, I'm not here to help you. If something happens, you go down to see Miss Henderson. Hmm. And that's exactly what she did. And that night, my mom gave her life to Jesus. Wow. So that's step two for that story. And listen, I would never, ever tell a woman who's in an abusive relationship to stay with the man who is abusing her. And I just hear me saying that. But my mom came home and she told my dad, you know, I accept Jesus tonight. I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to forgive you for everything you've done. It was a long list. And that night forward, my father never drank again.
2: No way.
3: What? Stopped cold turkey. But... Um, he said to her, I'll go to church with you, but I could never be a Christian because there's too many things I've done in my life. God could never forgive me. Mm-hmm. Now, this was back when there was no email. There was no yeah. internet. There was no cell phone. So when I was away, I started getting letters that my parents were now going to the Bible teaching church <laughs> and my dad was going to church and they were holding hands. And it, I thought, what am I going to come home to? But when I did come home at the end of the summer, my dad said the same thing to me. He said, I am going to go to church with with you but I never could be a Christian God could never forgive me hmm. because of all that I've done I could never be good enough and I said you know dad none of us could be good enough if, if we could be good enough then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross hmm. but he could not understand and even though he quit drinking some of those vices continued but let me fast forward three more years now I've got the teenage friends praying my mom in a Bible study, she's praying. The power of praying women. <laughs> Absolutely. i got to book on that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Amber, yes. You know, and I tell this story at the beginning because this is the first example that I saw the power of a praying wife. And um, three years later, my father uh, was on the verge of a nervous breakdown because he had left the company where he worked and gone to start another company that was in competition, and there was a restrictive covenant. So he Mm -hmm. was being sued and taken to court for, honestly, God only knew what. And this is what I want to say about this next part of this particular story, is that when it looks like everything is falling apart, things are really falling together. God's putting the pieces together. But my father was on, on the verge of a nervous breakdown, and he felt like he needed my mom And he got in his car because she was at a meeting in Pennsylvania. Got in his car, drove to Pennsylvania. He stopped by a church in Pennsylvania because he couldn't find her. Said, I need the priest to pray for me. The secretary, bless her heart, says he's not here, but I know a pastor, a Baptist pastor, out in the woods (laughs) building his church. And you're laughing because you know as soon as I say Baptist pastor. (laughs) So my dad, he follows this map that she drew on a scratch piece of paper, and he finds this man... Building his church, hammering his hand, Jesus in his heart. And dad says, I need you to pray for me. And the man said, well, tell me your story. So for the first time, my dad told somebody his story, all of it. And then the man put his arm around my dad and he said, now, Alan, let me tell you my story. Hmm. And my dad said that everything I'd done in my life, this man had done too. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a preacher, then he could forgive me. And my dad accepted Jesus in the woods of Pennsylvania with a man I never will know. And he became one of the sweetest men I've ever known. Really? But let me ask you this
1: we're all in tears <laughs> here of just the grace
3: and the miraculous power of God. Amen. But it's also the power of that man's story. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, my father, when he went to church with us and he said, I'm too far gone. Do you think there were other men in that church who had that story? Maybe not all of it, but parts of it. But they never told it. And God had to take him all the way to Pennsylvania
2: to, the woods. to find
3: a man in yeah. the woods to tell him, you know, I had that same story. And let me tell you what God did for me. That's the power of our story. You know, it says in Revelation 12, they overcame him, talking about the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their Their testimony. testimony. And you think that your story and your story, Dave, your story has so much power in it that it's in the same verse with the blood of the lamb. Hmm. No wonder the devil doesn't want you telling it. He wants us to be ashamed of it and to keep it quiet But it's combining those two things, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. That's how people see Jesus.
2: Mm. Yeah, and, you know, your whole ministry, and really our ministry, is birthed out of a broken story, out of pain. It's exactly... Uh, the title of your book, When You Don't Like Your Story, What If the Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories? And those victories point to the victor.
1: And give God glory. You
2: know, I mean, I'm over here tearing up because my dad came to Christ later in his life, too. And uh, you would think it's never going to happen God can't redeem, and God always does redeem. What a beautiful. Thank you, Sharon. That is
1: powerful. And I can't wait because we didn't yet touch on that still part of you that thought, what's wrong with me? Yes. And so we'll get into more of that to think, how do we heal the brokenness that we feel inside?
0: The kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Does your marriage need a tune-up or perhaps a bit of an overhaul? Come to A Day Together, our one-day marriage conference that focuses on helping couples develop oneness in their marriage. For a list of dates and locations near you, see our website at families.powertochange.org.au Until tomorrow, God's blessings.